1: God's grace, God's mercy, God's peace, on this, the second Sunday in Lent, this verse in the Bible. As a time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely, with great determination, he set his face for Jerusalem. He set his face for Jerusalem. There are many faces of Jesus that we find in the Bible who can be in the presence of children or grandchildren and their faces not light up with joy? Certainly in those episodes when the children came to Jesus, there was nothing but a smile upon his face. And as he took them to himself, out of his mouth came these words. you got to be like one of these children if you want to enter the kingdom. The joy-filled face of Jesus. And then there's a tender face of Jesus. I mean, there are 200 people around the pool of Siloam. And his eyes focus on one of them. The one individual whom no one else saw because he's nobody. A crippled man lying there for 38 years, no one to bring him into the pool. And who does Jesus go to? He goes to this man and he looks upon him... And when he looks upon this man, there has to be the tenderest look in his face. There are 20, 30, 40 calling out his name. And as he turns, he sees one man who is obviously blind. And the tenderness of Jesus reaches out to the blind man, uh, whose name is Bartimaeus. The boy is 10 years of age. He's possessed by a demon. I don't know how Jesus kept from weeping when he looked at this boy's situation, the tender face of Jesus. And every once in a while, not too often, but every once in a while, there's an angry look on Jesus' face. For he had his enemies, the scribes and the Pharisees. They wanted but one thing, to get rid of him and to remove him. Mark 3, verse 5 Jesus looked with anger at the scribes and Pharisees. He said to the man with a withered hand, I know it's the Sabbath day, but I'm going to heal you anyway, though it's going to cost me something. Tender face of Jesus, the joy-filled face of Jesus, angry face of Jesus, and virtually his entire three-year ministry, his face is one of great life and vitality. The rich young lawyer comes to Jesus, Luke 18, and he sees something in Jesus that he sees in no one else, and he says, I want what you have. Tell me how to grasp life. How do I grasp life? Luke 9, the only time that this verse brings forth a face of Jesus that had never been seen before. Because it says in Luke 9, 51, after he comes down off the Mount of Transfiguration, he sets his face to Jerusalem with resolution and determination. Another gospel account says when the disciples saw this look on his face, They talked amongst themselves, they drew back. They were almost frightened by the look they saw on his face. I preached two weeks ago, Mount Transfiguration Sunday. Why did he climb the mountain? Because of Satan. What was Satan doing? Whispering to him, don't go to the cross. Gone to Gethsemane two weeks later, he'll be sweating drops of blood, but not this time. Up the mountain he goes. He speaks to God. God doesn't send angels this time. He sends his big guns. He sends Moses who's been up in heaven for 1,500 years. Go and talk to my son. He sends a great prophet Elijah who's been up in heaven 700 years. Go talk to my son. He needs encouragement. Moses and Elijah talking to Jesus about what? About going to Jerusalem. Do not let Satan hinder you. He tempted you three years ago. He's tempted you for the past three years. And now he comes mightily against you. Be strong, Jesus, to Jerusalem, to the cross. And then God says, Moses and Elijah, that's not enough. And then God himself says, you are my son. Go to the cross and when he comes down off that mountain if you think there's any doubt left in him this works the physician luke with great determination he sets his face to jerusalem stride forth king jesus march forth son of god ride on ride on to victory my savior and my king Why did he do this? Why did he make a journey so unwelcome? On one occasion when he's talking about his death in Jerusalem, Simon Peter takes him aside and says, I'm the leader of this group. Stop talking this way. It's unsettling to us. On another occasion in the gospel when he's talking about his death and his resurrection, the Bible says his disciples were filled with great grief. Why did he f- steadfastly set his face to Jerusalem? Three reasons, but before I list them, you must understand he goes of his own free will. He went of his own free will. He didn't have to go. He made up his mind to go. God didn't force him, turn him into a puppet. When as a matter of choice, no outward compulsion. When he's in the garden and the Roman soldiers come for him, he says to them, No man, certainly not you guys, nor the Pharisees, nor the scribes, no man takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I will raise it up of my own accord. He chose to go to the cross. Tell me why. Not a bad thing to review. Tell me why. He did so because he lived his life as we should live our lives. Not to serve himself. Not to set his own agenda. Not to do what he liked to do. He lived his life to serve God. Pastor Shaw read in the Gospel... If you want to save your life, you got to lose it. What does it mean? You lose your life for him. You wake up of a morning and it's not about the person you're looking at in the mirror. You wake up in the morning and you look at the person in your mirror and you say, how can I be God's vessel today? Rick Warren saying every morning he woke up, God, who can I help today? Not a bad thing to say as one awakens. Jesus thought that the cross was the will of God. He emphasized it over and over again in the three years of ministry on this earth. He said, my purpose, my life's hunger, my life's meaning is to know the will of God. And when I know the will of God, then I'm going to do the will of God. And I'm going to finish his work. I'm not going to do 70% of his will, the miracles of healing, turning water into wine, all the rest of it. I'm not going to do 70% of his will. I'm not going to do 99% of his will. I'm going to finish the work. And the work is the cross. My life's hunger is to know and do the will of God and to finish his work. Over and over again during those three years, he said... I came not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me in the first place. There were times when he was perplexed. Listen carefully. There were times when he was perplexed as to what the will of God was. You need proof, God, in the Gethsemane, sweating drops of blood. Father, there's some other way to save mankind. Let it happen some other way. He was perplexed as to the will of God. It was hard for Jesus to believe that it was God's will that he should suffer so intently as the torture the cross would bring him. You and I are in the same boats. Let something come into our lives. It is hard for us to believe that God's will is that we suffer with cancer or worse yet someone we love suffer with cancer. It is hard to believe that God's will is that we go through the pain of a divorce. It's hard to believe that it's God's will that I lose my job when I have three young children at home. There is no one among us not even Martin Luther himself, not even the Apostle Paul himself, until Second Corinthians twelve who does not look at suffering and say, this can't be God's will. Job might say in Job thirteen fifteen, 15, though God slay me, yet will I trust in him. But three chapters later, he's wondering where God is. Jesus' suffering. Talked about it two weeks ago. Perhaps Pastor Shower last week. The gentleman I listened to last Sunday down in Arizona, he's preaching about this theme. He said, Jesus was tempted and he suffered when he was tempted. Hebrews 2, 17. And since Jesus suffered when he was tempted, Father, take this away from me. He is able to help us when we are tempted. Father, where have you gone? Listen carefully to this statement. While he might have been perplexed at times to know the will of God, he was never in the slightest doubt as to the correctness and the rightness of that will. He knew that however this ended, that God's will could only be good. The Apostle Paul might write it some 30 years later, all things work together for good to those who love God, but Jesus knew it before it was ever written. That's why he said, not my will but thine be done. However this turns out, God, I know your will can only be for good. Some of you, I know what you're going through. Others, I don't. I find out later. Whatever is going on in your life or mine right now, how strong is your faith? Do you spend days and weeks and months worrying over something, fearful over something? Or do you sit and say far sooner than you did in the old days, I know God's will is good. He knew the love of his father. He knew the wisdom of his father. He said, I shall go to the cross. Secondly, why did he go? He loved the people. Fair enough. Loved the people. Fair enough. Loved the people in Jerusalem. When King David took over the kingship, he moved the capital from Hebron to Jerusalem 900 years earlier. And the Jewish people, they got their great sanctity there in the holy city, Jerusalem. He loved it. Like a good principal or teacher loves his students. Like a good pastor loves the people in his congregation. Like a good doctor loves the patients. He loved them in Jerusalem. Hadn't always been easy for him there. There were thousands that praised him, but there were those handful that wanted him gone. He loved even them. He loved even them. Can you understand the depth of his love when he stands on the heights before the cross, and he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you kill the prophets, you stone those whom God sends to you, How often have I wished I could gather you together like a hen gathers her chicks, but you would not allow me to do this. You always fought against me. They might refuse him, but he never refused them. He never stopped loving them. When that rich young lawyer came to him and said, I can't give up my money. The Bible says in the next verse, Jesus looked at him with sadness because he loved him. He loved them. When he's hanging on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Who's he talking about? Talking about the Jews, scribes and Pharisees who have placed him there. He's talking about the Gentiles, Roman soldiers, the four of them who nailed the hands and the feet. Father, forgive them, and they know not what they do. He loved them. And the thief on the cross, to the end of his days, will be up there in heaven saying, I'm glad you loved me, Jesus. You had no reason to. And the prodigal son says, I'm glad you loved me, Jesus. You had no reason to. And King David says, I'm glad you loved me, Jesus. I screwed up things pretty badly down there. And the disciples say, I'm glad you love me, Jesus, because I ran away. And Simon Peter, I'm glad you loved me, Jesus, because I cursed and swore and said, I don't know who you are. The reasons he goes to Jerusalem, he knows it's the Father's will. Secondly, he loved him. Thirdly, much briefer, he did not believe that his death would be the final word. He did not believe that death would win the battle. You checked me on this. There was never a time in the gospel that he ever said he would die without saying that he was going to rise from the dead. Never a single time in the gospel he ever said, I'm going to die on that cross that he did not say, I'm going to be raised from the dead. He went to Jerusalem to suffer and to die and then to win the victory. Neva Krieger's funeral was here. 11 a.m. yesterday. And I said at her funeral, what I've said 800 times at funerals, I said, this illness is not unto death. Christ has won the victory. What took your loved one off this earth? Alzheimer's, cancer, diabetes, heart disease, stillborn Child, what took your loved one off this earth? Was it the flu? Was it pneumonia? Was it a car accident? Did God say, as long as your heart beats, as long as your lungs breathe, you and I are together, but when your heart stops beating, I'm going to still be here among the living and you're going to be dead. Jesus went to the cross because he knew... That when he climbed that cross, in six hours' worth of time, sin was going to be defeated. Death was going to be defeated. And the power of the devil was going to be defeated. He didn't go to Jerusalem as a dead man. He went to Jerusalem as a conqueror, king of kings and lord of lords. I close with this comment. Jerusalem was Jesus' purpose in his ministry, the cross. What is your Jerusalem? Not talking about a geographical place on planet Earth, what is your Jerusalem? What is the will and purpose of God for your life? In January, some 10 went to El Salvador. Jacqueline Poe went to Guatemala a couple of weeks ago. What is God's Jerusalem for you? Some will be going to Alaska with we'll Pastor Shower this summer, the good Lord willing. Jared Harmon went on his mission, mission trip. What is God's Jerusalem for you? Going to Wocamp as a chaperone. Singing in a choir... Teaching in the public school, not afraid to bring forth Jesus' name when it needs to be done. What is God's Jerusalem for you? Is it the altar guild? Sign-up sheets right out there. Each of us has a Jerusalem people. And the primary goal of any of our Jerusalems is this. To let him be known. To let him be known. But let him be known. I'm reading the paper this morning. The coach of Loyola has in the paper the closing prayer that he had with his team as they won a conference title. And it was all about God. It was all about Jesus. And it was all about the talents and gifts he had given these individuals. And so it goes, dear people. Super Bowl, this coach, their Jerusalem is to get God's news out there. And whether you're a senior in high school at Oak Forest and there's a locker mate who has been sad for these last two or three months, or whether it's someone on the commuter train or someone at work, Christianity is not a religion for cowards, people. Never has been. It's a religion for heroes because God himself is in us. What's your Jerusalem? Jerusalem. He paid the price for our freedom and our courage and our salvation. What is your Jerusalem? In our Savior's name, amen. Would you rise as we pray? Heavenly Father comes to Jesus. He didn't have a spirit of timidity, he had a spirit of power and of love that we can never imagine. And he had a spirit of self-discipline. When God showed him his Jerusalem, when he showed him his will and his purpose, Jesus literally had a hunger to do what God asked him to do. And the discipline of setting his face to Jerusalem, saying to Satan yet again, get away from me, I have a task to do, and it shall involve the salvation of all who shall ever come to me by faith. Heavenly Father, I said at Neva's funeral yesterday, thank you, Jesus, for your death and resurrection, for her salvation and for her life. And I say that again today. Thank you, Jesus, for your death and resurrection, For it changes everything about our life on this earth and the life which is to come in our Savior's name. Amen